Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to try and not trip over the wires here. So if you see me go down, somebody grab my Bible and keep preaching, okay? Help me out. Yes, I need a lot of help. Aside. So, Revelation 2. Uh, for those of you visiting with us, so great. Thank you for being here, taking your time to be with us. We have been preaching on a topic, uh, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is taken from Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Uh, Jesus appears to seven churches and uh, talks about where they are spiritually. And at the end he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so our effort is to make sure that uh, God's Word always remains God's Word and is relevant today. And so whatever is spoken, we've got to make sure we're not just thinking, boy, I hope the church at Laodicea or Thyatira or Pergamum hears this. No, it's this church here in Staten Island. It's meeting at Port Richmond High School. Let us hear what the Spirit has to say to us. Specifically and personally. So that is the approach we've been taking and going through uh, these churches here in Revelation 2. And so the next church that we come to is the church in Thyatira. And if you'll look in verse 18, he says, To the church, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire. And whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, that you are now doing more than you did at first. And that's amazing. That's not like the church at Ephesus, the first church he addressed, right? They had lost their first love, but he says, you're doing more than you did at first. Awesome. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely until they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you, Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Staten group that has an ear, let them hear, let us hear what the Spirit is saying to us. That's not a good feeling to read that, is it? We don't put this passage of Scripture up there like with the 23rd Psalm. 
I'm feeling a little down, you know. The Lord is my shepherd, you know. That's what we go to, not, nevertheless, I hold this against you. That we don't go to. And then how about the pronouncements of judgment? I just, I don't like that. That is so un-American. That is so against Western civilization. Church is a place that you come of your own choosing to be comforted, to be encouraged. Now, that's true. But we also have to back up and understand what is the church? What is the message that we here in Staten Island need to hear from this? First of all, I want you to know, know this. Jesus knows all the good that's being done. Notice what he says there in verse 19. And that is an incredible commendation to them. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, that you are now doing more than you did at first. That is good. That is great. And you know what? That applies to so many here. Don't lose that. Hold on to that. Yet he goes on, nevertheless, I have this against you. And then it's like challenging, unleashing judgment. And you're thinking, okay, Jesus, make up your mind. Are you pleased or are you angry? What is it? It's both. But you think to yourself, how in the world did these guys who were commended, who were doing so much right... How in the world did they end up in this situation? I don't know all the answers. But I know how people get there. Sometimes we end up in a situation like this because we're people pleasers. We look at Christianity as just being about me. I need to get my life right. I need to deal with my life. I need to make sure I'm living right. And absolutely, we start with ourselves, you know. There is no way, I'm going to say, Hassan, you need to do that without me first. Hey, Sheridan, are you doing that? Because God is very serious about that. But people think that the church is all about them. Individual. Improvement. Me and God, I don't need anyone. That's unbiblical. And we'll talk about that in a second. People pleasing. You know what? It's none of my business what anyone else does in the church. People pleasing. Sometimes we get sentimental. Well, they're just, you know, that's the way they are. And we get so sentimental. They're so weak. They're so whatever. And so we end up tolerating things that Jesus said, do not do. I hold this against you. And there are a lot of reasons. The sentimentality, the people pleasing. We don't want to say something. We don't want to do something. But it's obvious stuff's going on. And so Jesus is strong. He is not compromising. There's no excuse. He lays it out. Something has to be done, Thyatira. Something has to be done. Or there are consequences. Now, I want us to look back at this. Why is it that he is so indignant? Why is it? He's pleased with some of the people, but the thing is, they were just getting their life together. They were concerned about what's going on in the church. And so he's indignant that a situation like this can happen. Why? I came up with four reasons. And I want us to look at this. And I want us to think about us here. Reason number one. This goes against the very nature of redemption. It is opposite of redemption. 
Now, what do I mean by that? Look at uh, Titus chapter 2. Titus 2. In verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So why did Jesus die? To redeem us. That means buy us back from the world, from sin, from all of this, and purify us from all wickedness. And to create for himself a people that are his own, eager to do what is good. That is redemption. We are taken from one point, lostness, separation from God, darkness, and brought into his life. But there is a difference in way of life. There's a difference in values and priorities. Redemption is not only being brought from, but it's being brought to somebody. And Thyatira thought, well, I've got my life, but they let this person, and I doubt her name was really Jezebel. I think that's just a, 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 a representative name. Jezebel's a bad name. Anyone who's, you know, a little bit familiar with the Bible, reads the Bible, usually doesn't name their daughters Jezebel. It's kind of like when you understand the scriptures, you usually don't name your son Judas, you know? Simon Peter, you know, John, these are other things. But Jezebel, it's not a good, so this, whoever this woman was, she's enticing people in the church there to commit sexual immorality. Be involved in pagan rituals and stuff. But it's okay. We're all church together. We're all friends together. Jesus goes, no. No. Why? The very nature of the church is about redemption. Being purified from all unrighteousness and wickedness. And and being, you know, saying no to this stuff. And saying yes to being like Christ. And being purified. I'm a people eager to do what is good. Lord, what would you have me do? The woman Jezebel is not interested in that. It's all about self-absorption and fulfillment and doing all of this stuff. The nature of redemption, it goes totally against it. What's going on here? Look at a couple. I want to take some time. Look at this topic of holiness. I know that's kind of a, a God word. And it's like, wow, holiness. What is that? Holiness, sanctification, it just means being set apart. When a person becomes a Christian, they've been set apart. They are no longer a non-Christian pursuing things that are not Christian and living a life that is not Christian. They have been forgiven. And now they're living a life that is Christian. Okay? They're set apart from that which is not of Christ. I'm set apart to that which is of Christ. That's holiness. Now... Look at what God's will has always been. I'm just going to go through these. Look at Ephesians 1. And verse 4. Ephesians 1. I'll just read it from here. Nick can get to it faster than I can. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be what? Holy and blameless in his sight. 
Before the creation of the world, Staten Island folks here that are part of the Lord's church were chosen to be holy and blameless in sight. You were not chosen for any other reason. You were not chosen to be immoral, lying, cheating, prideful, materialistic. I mean, that's not who you are chosen. You were chosen to be set apart. That's what you were chosen. That's the whole point of redemption. That's what God wants. Okay, let's go on to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. See if I can beat Nick there. I'm here. <laughs> okay, I won this one. No, 1 Thessalonians, I know, I know. See, I'm going to use any edge I can to win, all right? 1 Thessalonians 4 and uh, verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Okay, what is sanctified? Set apart. God, what is your will? Be set apart. But, but I want to be, you know, Jezebel, we're just, you know, we're, we're, we, don't, we don't want to be intolerant, so let's do all this. No. God's will, Sheridan, be set apart. That you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is what? Holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure but to live a holy life. What did he call you to do? Live a set apart life. Live a life that is Christian. Not a life that is not Christian. You can't just have the name. You've got to actually be what is described there. Let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, uh, chapter 12. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness... No one will see the Lord. Now what's Jezebel and her compatriots' problems there in the church in Thyatira? They're not going to see the Lord. They're not going to see. That's it. Because without holiness, you cannot. If you're not set apart, you will not see Him. But Sheridan, we're weak. I'm going to get to that. Don't worry. I just want some conviction here because it's what Jesus says. Do we have a conviction about belonging to Him and being holy? Do we? And then 1 Peter 1. In verse thir- uh, 15. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Now, I've read these passages. There are other passages. The point I want us to understand is, again, we cannot become children of our cultures when we're together as a church. Enjoy your culture and the different flavorings, but that does not define the people of God. Jesus calls those who are Christians, those who are His. There are two groups, those who are not His, those who are His. Anyone who by the grace responds to Him and is following Him, they're His. You don't have to be the smartest, most talented, whatever. It's just by mercy and grace. But you are actually following Him. Jezebel didn't think you had to do that. 
I'll come to church and do whatever and live whatever way I want to. No, the church is called to be set apart, holy. People that are committed to that. And not only that, what is the Spirit doing now or striving to do? Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. Trying to get there quick before Nick does. Ephesians 2. Verse 19. Consequently, you, that's us, that's us, you and me here, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building, as us, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, he's talking to Ephesian church, he's talking to Staten Island church, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are either being built together or we're not. If you're part of the church, then you yield to being built together. That's what the church does. And what are you being built together in? As a holy temple. A set-apart people. We don't go around thinking we're better than anyone else. We're not better than anyone else. Anything good we have is a gift of God and a gift of God. And anybody can have it. We're definitely not selfish with it. Come on, take part. Question, are you allowing yourself to be built together? I've got a sideline. We'll come back to this as we talk about some of the letters. But, folks, some of us here aren't together. We don't allow ourselves to be built together. Somehow the Holy Spirit's just going to go off and build you into a holy temple by yourself. I'm not that important. You're not that important. God loves us. God is merciful. God is gracious. But His church is the body of Christ. And what God is trying to do is build people together into a holy temple. Read, sit down and read in one sitting the book of Ephesians. Six chapters, not long. John R.W. Stott called it the gospel of the church. If you want to understand how we ought to be, that's a good place to start. Jezebel should have, should have read that. She should have understood that. Because she defied everything about God's intention of us being a holy people. And she basically threw it in his face. Threw it in his face there. Jesus is indignant. You and I are called to be set apart. We're called to be built together. We're called to be serious about being holy and sanctified. And I don't know everything that means, but that's why we fellowship. That's why we study. That's why we pray to help each other. That's what the church is here for. The body of Christ. But it is a holy body. Not a worldly, compromising, people-pleasing, sentimental group. It is Christ. Not mine, not yours. It is Christ. So that's one reason why he's indignant. Reason number two he's indignant is that that type of behavior, toleration of sin within the body of Christ, destroys people's faith. Yeah. Destroys people's faith. Sometimes people will come up to me, Sheridan, you know, I'm just not into Christianity because of all the hypocrites. 
And I used to come back real quick, you know, I had snappy answers to that, you know. It's like, oh yeah, well, boom, boom, boom. I don't anymore. I say, well, tell me your story now. Because I know that there are a lot of people that claim to be Christians and have done things or lived in a way that brings dishonor. And Paul said in Romans 2, it says, God's name is blasphemed because of that. So I know that. Hypocrisy destroys people's faith. It destroys people's, you know, chance to respond. Well, God just needs to help them. You're right, and God will work on them. But that means God has to overcome you to do it. Oh, that's terrible. Hypocrisy discourages the church, destroys people's faith. You know, every family, and I've talked about this before, if you have a family with several children, and one child starts pursuing dangerous behavior, you know, you correct, you discipline. But I've had friends of mine who've been in a situation where one child was got so out of control that was a health threat to the other children. And so they had to kind of put the, the child in a special program to help. Do you think they loved the idea of that child being separated? Not at all. But you know what was not up for negotiation? The health and welfare of the other children. Painful, horrible, terrible to have to do that, but they're not going to let the others get destroyed because one is pursuing a certain way. God doesn't like to see anybody walk away or be on the outside. But he's not going to let people hurt the people that do want to do what the thing is that's right. 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. Verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. And I have already passed judgment on the one who did this. Just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, 
an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Corinthian church is a mess. They have ongoing incest, immorality there in the congregation. That was bad enough, Paul said. The thing that blew his mind is they thought it was great. We're open-minded. We're liberal. We're tolerant. We're this, that, and the other. He goes, are you out of your mind? Expel the person. Hand them over to Satan. What does that mean? You make it publicly recognized they are not part of God's people here. Whatever they think. And let Satan deal with them. Put them right back. He, he, they're in his kingdom anyway. Put them, make it obvious right there. And do that. There is a time when that has to be done. There is a time. I hate doing it. I don't like doing it. So do we do it when someone's going through weakness? No, no, no. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. And let me give you a little preview. We're all sinners. We all have the same last name, sinners. The difference is in our first name. Are you a penitent sinner or a rebellious sinner? That's where we get down to it, okay? So, before anyone going, oh my goodness, do I have to know? Just, hold, just hang with me here. What are we talking about? We're talking about somebody that claims to be a Christian and is immoral. They haven't repented of it. Or a drunkard. Or a swindler. They're a thief. They cheat. Or a slanderer. You know what? I can do all of those things by myself. And I can do it very well. I've done it. Pass it. That's easy for me. Being a Christian, I need the power of God, His Holy Spirit, and the power Spirit living in you guys to keep me accountable. To live that life. The minute I start pursuing something else, then you know what? I have made a decision. And that decision is I no longer am going to follow Jesus. I've heard people say, well, I'm going to leave the church if I still follow Jesus. You're immoral. You're a slanderer. You're a drunkard. You're an idolater. You're a swindler. Well, you can think anything you want. Biblically, though, mm -mm, it's not true. Biblically, though. And you know what gets me is when people say, don't judge. You better judge. You better judge. You judge in the church. I have friends outside of the church, non-Christians. They can sit down, share, what do you think of this? Now, you know, I'll open the Bible now. This is what the scriptures say, and this is what I believe God wants for your life. They may look me in the eye and go, okay, thank you, Sharon. They may go right out there, start getting drunk, sleeping with everyone, all that. I'm not going to go up to them and say, man, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? You're wrong. You know why I'm not? Because they're not a Christian. I have no influence in that. I can just share with them. But when someone who is a Christian does that, it's now my business. Even more so, it's your business. Well, do not judge, lest ye be judged. Read the rest of the verse. Matthew 7. It says, For by the same measure you judge others, you will be judged. You and I are accountable to the Word of God. So, you know what? When you make a judgment, make sure it's with that and realize it's applied to you. We need some judgment here. 
We've had stuff go on. I think people knew about it. And I think the worst thing is you were either proud or sentimental or whatever. I don't know. But Paul goes, your boasting is not good. We live in a society that values tolerance, except for those people that believe in something strongly. Then they're pretty intolerant about their tolerance. Okay? It's an interesting thing how that goes. I'm all for tolerance. Again, outside of God's kingdom, however people want to choose to live, that is their choice. And I have no right to force myself or my way on anyone. But if you're part of God's church, all right, now comes that's right or that's wrong in matters of faith. Okay? Do you understand? Matters of opinion, no. Matters of faith, that is wrong. Sure, and that's judgmental. You better believe it. And your hearing is really good. And when I'm doing something, you see a scripture, Sheridan, that is wrong. Well, you're being judgmental. You need to say, you better believe it. And your hearing is good. It is wrong. You know what? That scares some people. But I tell you what, there are a lot of our non-Christian friends that would like to see somebody take a stand. It was once said that David Hume, the famous Scottish... Uh, atheist slash agnostic 1700s one day was seen walk, walking into a church building and someone saw him and goes Dr. Hume I'm, I'm shocked I'm surprised you know you're here I didn't think you believed this any of this he says I don't but he does and I want to hear him the preacher you know why there was a guy that actually believed and stood up for something Rather than, well, everything kind of goes. It steals people's hope. They would like to know that redemption is about going from one place to another, not just being the same old, same old. They want to see, is there, is God alive or is he not? That comes because people believe it and God uses them. But God's not going to use a compromiser. God's not going to use a coward. God's not going to use somebody that rebels against it. Jesus is upset because it destroys people's faith. Now, let me say something, guys. So how do we deal with that part? Are we going to have a police state? No. You read Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Jesus talked about in the parable that this man had a field, and when the harvest came, there were weeds with the wheat. And the man said, wow, an enemy did this. He threw in some of the seeds. And he says, but you know what? Let's wait till the harvest. Because, and then we'll separate it. Because we don't want to pull the weeds out too early. We might hurt some of the wheat. And then he gives the interpretation of the parable. And that is that Satan plants his seeds among all of us. And there will be people that belong to him that we won't know till the end of time. We won't know that. But we don't do a police state because that will hurt people's faith. And it's just wrong. Relationally, biblically, it's wrong. But at the end of time, things will be separated. Because Satan scattered seed. Here's the thing. In 1 Corinthians 5, we're not talking about one of just the little hidden seeds. We're talking about something that's obvious. That's what I'm talking about, guys. We need to help each other. You see something that's 
inconsistent in someone's calling to be a Christian, talk to them about it. Don't come and just full gun, but pull them aside, brother, sister, what's going on? Let's talk. And if they start doing pushback, remind them, now, are, are you part of the church? Apart Because we've got to help each other. We've got to hold each other accountable. That's not a police thing. That's a heart thing. Again, my flesh can do all of this stuff by myself. Awesome. I need help following Christ. I need to be held accountable. And so do you. And if we know of something going on that's, that's just in the darkness, man, Jesus says, get it out. Get it out. Hopefully people will repent. Amen. But that brings me to the third thing. Why he was so upset. And that's the issue of disrespect and respect. I've told people before that want to do things and pursue things that are not consumed with the Bible, I say, I respect your choice. And I do. Now, you need to respect this choice because you need to go somewhere else. Because this is not going to be compromised for sentimentality or for anything else. It isn't for me. I, I, I was submitted to uh, discipline. I wasn't asked to go out of the church because I, I, I repented, but I definitely was taken out of leadership 20 years ago. Should have been. You know why? Whining. I didn't like something, but rather than go to somebody, I just went ahead and talked to other people about it. I should have been. Jerked right out of there and given a choice. What's it going to be? And I chose, you know what, I want to repent. Because one thing, they were going to respect my choice. That if I want to be a slanderer and a gossip, I can go live that way, but I do it outside the church. They will respect my choice to do that, but I need to respect their choice to say, you need to go. In Hebrews 10th chapter, just got a couple more things here. Hebrews 10. I know things are quiet. I know we're very meditative. <laughs> Believe it or not, there are a couple of letters in the chapters 2 and 3 that are very encouraging. We just, we're going to get there, alright? Thyatira is not. So, let's just go ahead. If it's true, let's strap it on and embrace it. And, uh, what did I tell you? Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. Jesus is indignant because it is a height of disrespect. Jezebel and her cohorts, you know the three things they were doing? Trampling the Son of God underfoot, treating as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant sanctified him, and insulting the spirit of grace. You don't do that. You won't do that at the end of time, for sure, but you don't do that in the church now. God is patient letting people repent and become Christians, but you don't do that. That is so disrespectful. So disrespectful. You know, 
If a person comes into my house and insults my wife and children, I ask them to leave. That's the way it's going to be. Now, what they say outside of my house and their own private, that's none of my business. Nothing I can do. I wish they wouldn't. But you don't disrespect my family in my home. You don't do that. Guess what? That's the same thing you expect, right? No one's going to disrespect your family in your home. No one does that. You don't do that. It is disrespectful. You can't change people's opinion. You can't do that. And that's fine. But man, you can decide if you're going to tolerate it in your home or not. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Ah, uh, this is not tolerated. No. You will not trample me underfoot. You're not going to treat as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant sanctified you as if my sacrifice was some little entertainment, carnival thing. And you're not going to insult the Holy Spirit of grace. You will not do that, period. I don't care. No excuse. Not at all. And so he is indignant. And then lastly, why is he indignant? Because there's no excuse for this. You know what? We are all weak. We all mess up. We all need God's grace every day. Not once a week. I don't need it. It's, I need it more than my one-a-day vitamins, you know? I need His grace and His mercy. Because in word or thought or deed, I'd never have a perfect day. Never. Never. And so I need Him all the time. And you know what He does? He forgives me. And He forgives you. But you know why He does that? Because He has given us the way to take hold of forgiveness. The way to not end up like Jezebel. Well, we're going to do anything in the church no matter what. He's given that to us and we choose. Do I want to do it God's way or not? If I don't do it God's way, there is no excuse. He set it up so that you don't have to live a life of duplicity, of hypocrisy. He set it up. But if you don't do it His way, that's on you. No, I'm weak. Uh-uh, uh-uh. No excuse. I'm just not that type of... No excuse. Why? Well, I mean, what is this way? 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Confession and repentance. He gives that to us. That's what we can do to make sure we don't end up like this Jezebel. Confession and repentance. And you're not going to do it once in your life. You're going to do it a lot. But as long as you're doing that, the forgiveness is always there. My fingers split in winter. It hurts like nobody's business. It dries out and they split wide open. And I mean, I, I sometimes I put so many band-aids on, I'm starting to look like a mummy, you know, just to keep from bleeding up. And it hurts. So I go to the doctor. Doctor gives me this cream. It deals with it. And then, you know, for a while, it starts splitting again. 
So I try and tough it out. It starts bleeding all over the place. Maybe it'll just change. No, it doesn't. I've got to put the cream on it. Guess what? If I choose not to put the cream on it, it's no excuse. It's going to bleed. But if I put the doctor's solution on it, it heals up. But it's my choice. It's my choice. Confession and repentance. Open up. I have sinned. I need help. And here's what I'm going to do different. We have relationships here. Some of them, that that's their relationship with each other. They're open with each other. They pray together. And you know what they have? Just, they're always forgiven. They're always forgiven. They enjoy that. There's nothing to hide. We have groups. We have a purity group. We have CR group. People that have struggled in their purity, they keep kind of, oh man, I failed, I failed. But they didn't quit. They didn't make an excuse. They're in these groups every week. They're talking to people throughout the week. Do we look at them? Wow, you're just weak. You can't handle it. No, we look at them. That's a forgiven. That's a Christian right there. Amen. Oh, but look. Look at the struggles. Doesn't matter. Confession, repentance. That's what they've done. Whatever it takes. CR, same thing. Whatever it takes. Because Jesus is Lord. He is the Christ. It is His body. So I'll do whatever it takes. At the end of time, Everything that we've done, God's going to judge us according to our deeds. For the Christian, that is a day of vindication, not a day of fear. Because you see, your life will be reviewed. But here's the difference. As a Christian, your life is a highlight reel. You know what a highlight reel is? It's all of the best plays you made, you know, as an athlete. They don't show any times you drop the ball, or you struck out, or you missed the bat. None of that. The highlight reel is every great thing you did. So at the end of time, because of God's forgiveness, you, you, your life is reviewed, and it's like, man, I, I never sinned. I never did anything wrong. Because the only thing that comes up is the times I prayed, I helped someone, I served the poor, I cared about somebody, I got things reconciled. That's all that's shown. And God says, yeah, that is what heaven is made of. Those type of people. And you're thinking, yeah, but Lord, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's be honest here. He goes, I am honest. As far as the east is from the west, so far do I remove your sins from you. You are forgiven. You have no right to look at yourself. As a failure or someone apart from me. You confessed. You repented. It was wiped clean. And that's it. That's your life. The highlight reel. And you're thinking, grace and glory be to God himself. Because he's great. I don't know how you're feeling today. But I do want to call on everyone here to go back to your baptism. You were asked a question. What is your good confession? Will you do that today? Jesus is Lord. I don't want to lose anybody. But I do want there to be mutual respect. If you want to live a life that's not Christian, 
then I respect your decision. And I want you to make that obvious and talk to me about that. Or talk to somebody about that. If you do want to live a life that is Christian, I want you to expect of me what I will expect of you. And that is, live as a Christian. It's a life of confession and repentance. We wait, we struggle. But by God's mercy, we are forgiven. But you know something? We are following Jesus. We are trying. And we're not hiding. We're not rationalizing. We're not excusing. We're not, oh, poor me. No. Because of God, we have all we need to be who we need to be. God reigns. Jesus intercedes for us. And the Spirit indwells us. We got it made, guys. We just have to stand up and acknowledge that. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. We're going to close out with this song.